second in the series of When the Church Prays. And today the title of this message is Prayer That Stands in the Gap. I have been unable to escape a thought that started last week about the need for the church to engage in the Holy Spirit's prompting of prayer that comes with desperation. That somehow we have gotten into our mind as a church that our involvement in prayer doesn't really do anything. That our prayers are powerless. That they are as powerless as our ability to live for God without His Holy Spirit and on our own ability. And I stated last week that I fear that prayer is not what we are known for. And when I'm speaking about that, I'm talking about the church at large, not just this local body of believers, but the church at large. Today we are more satisfied to be known for our preaching and our teaching, our writing and our blogging, our organizing and strategizing, our networking and collaborating, our planning and our planting, but we are not known for our praying and our fasting. And in this we are in profound danger of missing the whole point because God wills for us to be a praying people. God wills to work in a world that echoes the cries of His children. Or that God brings about remarkable change in the world in response to the prayers of His people. Our prayers affect the way God acts in the world. Now I recognize that the moment I say that, and I've had a number of questions that have been posed to me throughout this week saying, Pastor, you made me uncomfortable when you stated that last week because for me to begin to believe that my prayers, my prayer life affects the way God acts in the world, doesn't that somehow take away from His sovereignty and take away from the providence of God? And So how can my prayers actually affect what God has already determined that He is going to do as the sovereign of the universe? How does those things fit together? And so today, I would like to share with you briefly on the doctrine of the providence of God and our prayers. My aim in these next few moments is to show us a scripture that gives us a proper doctrine of the providence of God as it relates to the way God's people pray that will lead you to an understanding that will... Process in your heart a desire to be relentless in your devotion to prayer, relentless in your confidence in prayer, and relentless in the power through prayer. And in order to do that, I have to take you to a passage of Scripture that is one of the most biblically baffling stories in the Bible and begin to work through that with you. And so let me just briefly set the stage for you before I dive into this Scripture that will be found in Exodus. Here's what happened. God has miraculously delivered his people out of slavery. They had been crying and asking for deliverance, and he had done so. He led them out of Egypt. They are now at Mount Sinai. He reveals his glory to them. He gives them his law. He provides for them. And now Moses is instructed to go up to the top of the mountain and meet with God while the people are to stay at the bottom, and they're not to get too close because of the glory of God, and they're to wait at the foot. And so as the people's representative stands at the top of the mountain with God on their behalf, this is what happens down below in Exodus chapter 32. And I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 10. And I'm reading this morning out of the New King James Version. 
Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and they said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool, and he made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron saw it and built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, who's remember, he's on the top of the mountain. Go and get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves and they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone, so that I in my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them, and then I will make you into a great nation." Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power in your mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of, I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. And verse 14, so the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. O Holy Spirit. We desperately need you to lead us and guide us in all truth. Take this word and open our understanding so that we can have a proper view of the doctrines of the doctrine of the providence of God along with the prayers of your people. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to show you in this text is what Moses knows and as a result of that, how Moses prays. And I want us to help see that What we know about God in this room could affect how we pray to God for our lives and for our families and for our church and for our nation and for our world. So let me start with this. I've got one point this morning. It has four sub points, but there's only one point. So one point, what Moses knows. There are four things that Moses know. Number one, Moses knows that the perfections of God are unchanging. When I use that term perfections here, here's what I'm talking about. I am referring to the perfect attributes of God that permeate his entire being. It's the intrinsic qualities of God. These things are such as God is perfectly holy. It tells us in Isaiah 6, 3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord our God. He is without error. He is without equal and he will never change. 
God is also perfectly loving. It tells us in 1 John 4, verses 7 and 16, that God is love. Not only does He demonstrate love, He defines love. Love is encaptured within His being. And we rely on His love. We also understand that God is perfectly just. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says this, He is the rock. His works are perfect and all His ways are just. There is nothing within Him that is not just. So just ponder for a moment with me the paradoxical perfections of God. We are dealing with a God that is perfectly full of wrath and perfectly full of love simultaneously. He is perfectly self-existent and he's perfectly self-sufficient all at the same time. He is perfectly omniscient, means he knows all things. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere at the same time and he's omnipotent, meaning there's nothing that his power cannot accomplish. All at the same time. And in all of these attributes, he declares in Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. In James 1, he says, he does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13. And then Psalm 90 is true that says, From everlasting to everlasting, God is God. Before us, after us, God never changes. He's always perfect. And so the perfections of God are unchanged. And we know this, and Moses knew this. So listen to his prayer in verse 11. He starts with this. Oh, Lord. In other words, he calls on the covenant name of God, which represents God's constant revelation of himself. And then in this prayer, Moses goes on to acknowledge God's wrath while appealing to God's love. He acknowledges God's might while appealing to God's mercy. He acknowledges God's glory while pleading for God's goodness. And so Moses' prayer is plainly grounded in the unchanging perfections of God. And we know that God doesn't change. And today for us, that is a very good thing. For if God could change, that could mean that he could either change for the better or for the worse. Neither of which would be good. Because if he could change for the worse, we have no hope of salvation. If God could change for the better, it means that he wasn't the best possible being in the first place. So how could we be sure that he is being good with us today? So write this down. God's knowledge is not progressive. His goodness is not gradual. He is completely perfect in everything. And Moses knows this. God help us to know this. That the perfections of God are unchanging. The second thing that Moses knew is that the purposes of God are unchanging. In verse 11, I love his words here as he's talking to God. Your people who you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and your mighty hand. Now, now I have to admit that as a parent, if my children misbehaved, I would often look at my wife and say, your kids... And there would be times when she would look at me and she goes, your son and your daughter, we love to apply all of those things to the other in this. And so you can hear this interaction with Moses as he's saying, your children, your people. And then he goes on to say, listen, these are your people that you brought out of slavery for the purpose of saving them, not killing them. You did this for your namesake. And Moses says, that purpose, God, has not changed. 
So Moses is relaying in prayer truth that reverberates through God's word. Psalm 33, 11, the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Isaiah 46, verses 10, 11, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, I will bring about and what I have planned, that will I do. Moses knows that the aim of God does not undergo amendment or adjustment Because the aims of God are always achieved. May we never forget that God governs every single detail of the universe for his glory's name and for his glory's sake every second of every day. And Moses knew that, that the purposes of God are unchanging. Thirdly, Moses knew that the promises of God are unchanging. I want you to look at what it would be considered shockingly bold language that Moses uses in verse 13. He He's talking to God, remember. So he says this. Hey, God, remember. Now, I, I laugh when I see that. Telling God to remember. This omniscient God who knows all things, who not only knows all things, but has ordained all things. That he would ever forget a detail of what he has ordained at all times. And Moses has the bold audacity to say, maybe you need to remember something. And then he says, did you forget Abraham and Isaac and Israel? And Moses points to the patriarchs and says, you promised them. You swore by your own self that you would give them and their families the land to which you are now leading them. You can't go back on your word. Moses knows what it says in Numbers 23, 19. That God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Moses knows what the psalmist will later say. That the word of the Lord is upright and all of his work is done in faithfulness. God himself says in Psalm 89, I will not violate my covenant nor alter what my lips have uttered. Praise God today that the promises of God to us are not pathetic and they are not feeble and they are not subject to whim. Thank God that our current life lived in him and our future life lived in his glorious kingdom are not in doubt due to the unforeseen limitations of his promises to us. Matthew chapter 24 verse 35 says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Moses knows this. And may we know the promises of God are always unchanging. So isn't it interesting then that in this very passage in the Old Testament that sparks the most discussion about what changes in God, Moses bases his entire prayer on that which never changes in God. And we look at this, and then we get to verse 14. And it says, So the Lord relented from the harm or disaster which he had said he would do to his people. How are we to understand this? Amidst all that is unchanging in God, it certainly seems, as we read this, that something changed in God. In fact, in just a few verses before, 
Verse 10, Jesus or God is saying, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them, that I may destroy them, and then I will make you into a great nation. And now, just four verses later, God is relenting, and he relented, and and it's interesting that that word may be translated, depending on what Bible you have, as he repented, or in other Bibles it's translated, he changes his mind. It's the same word that's used in other places in Scripture to describe how people change their minds. And it's also used in Numbers 23 to describe that God never changes his mind. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, 29, it says, He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind. He is not a man that he should change his mind. So we look at this and go, what in the world is going on here? And it leads us to the fourth truth of what Moses knew. He knew the perfections of God were unchanging. The purposes of God were unchanging. The promises of God are unchanging. And yet, Moses knows that the plan of God is still unfolding. The plan of God is still unfolding. Now follow me. By separating the plan of God off from these others, I am not implying that God's plan is changing. We've already covered that in the fact that His perfect in His promises and His purposes, He, he has all of that covered. God is perfectly sovereign and His will is perfectly fixed and He is faithful to all of His promises. He does all that He pleases. This is obviously important because if God's plan is not fixed, listen closely. If we were serving a God that is not sovereign, that does not have a fixed plan, then it would seem as if God is apparently out of control. There are a variety of popular theologies that proclaim this today, that God is not sure what's going to happen next, and that he is reduced to responding to the wants and the whims, and ultimately he doesn't know what he's doing. This thought, my friend, is heresy. It is falsehood. It is a lie. God does know what he is doing. God is ordaining all that is happening. So when we come to Exodus 32, here's what we know. In the unfolding plan of God, God is not surprised by any of this. He's not surprised when his people sin. He's not surprised when Moses prayed. He's not surprised that God's will is settled as it is here in Scripture, yet he has allowed himself to be moved by the prayers and passion of an individual. And so we look at this and say, well, why then do we have this story? What is the reason for it? It shows us that God has an unfolding plan that we get to be a part of. This story powerfully portrays to us how God judges men in their sin. The people of Israel sinned against God. They sinned grievously against God. They deserve the wrath of God. And God looks at them and calls them out on it. And he said, they have turned away. They are stiff-necked people. They are worthy of destruction. They are worthy of death. And that is all true. Because God is holy. And he will judge men in their sin. Sin demands swift wrath. So in verse 9 and 10, God judges men in their sin. And then God provides a mediator for sinners. This is the whole picture that Exodus is giving us up to this point. Moses is the covenant mediator that goes back and forth between the people and God. 
Moses stands before the people. Then he goes into the presence of God, hears from God, comes back down and speaks to the people what God is saying. He is the mediator between the two. And God set it up this way. And so when we see this in Exodus 32, 7, when God says to Moses, and this is an important line in this whole story. He says, go back down to your people. Now think about that. If God was intent on destroying people in his wrath, why would he have sent Moses back down? The answer is that God was planning on sparing his people through Moses' mediation. The reality of Exodus 32 is clear. God will demonstrate his wrath against the people of Israel unless, unless, Unless a man steps in and mediates on their behalf. Unless somebody steps in and prays passionately and desperately that God would relent. And all of this is perfectly in line with the unchanging perfections of God. God is holy. He will punish sin and at the same time be loving and merciful. He will be true to his covenantal promise to save a contemptible people. And how does he do it? How does God be true to his unchanging perfection and true to his unchanging promises while fulfilling his unchanging purposes? He does it through an unfolding plan, a mediator to stand in the gap for people. Isn't it ironic That at the beginning of this chapter, the the people literally disown Moses. And yet he's the only one who can stand on their behalf. In the middle of the chapter, we see him doing exactly that as he intercedes on their behalf. And in so doing, Moses is not changing the plan that God has offered, but is fulfilling the plan that God has ordained. This unfolding plan of God is not unfamiliar to us in Scripture. For those of you that have grown up in the church, how many of you have heard the story of Jonah? Many of you have. God sent Jonah to Nineveh to proclaim the words, and this is what he told him to say, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Nineveh was going to be destroyed. In their sin, in 40 days, that's what God said. At the same time, God sent a prophet to go ahead before him and tell them, why would God do that? It's the same picture that we're seeing here. God judging the Ninevites in their sin, at the same time sending a preacher to warn them. So Jonah who believed that the Ninevites deserved all the wrath that God needed to give them, and believe me, don't you and I think for just a moment that we're any better? Because there are people groups that we think deserve all of the wrath of God. And if God had called us to them, we would say, send a fish to swallow me. And yet somehow, after spending a few days in the digestive system of a fish, it providentially... Spit him up right where he needed to be. And in Jonah chapter 3 verse 10 in the New American Standard Bible, it says this. When God saw their deeds, that they turned from their evil way, then God relented of the disaster which he had declared. Think about those words. He relented of a disaster that he had already declared. That he would bring on them. So he did not 
do it. Same picture. God judges sin. God provides a mediator through whom he displays mercy. And we ultimately, think about this, we ultimately do not look to Jonah to understand this unfolding plan in our lives, do we? Friends, we look to Jesus. This is the gospel. This is, this is the way that it works for us. You see, in our sin, you and I stand under the judgment of a holy God. He is compelled by the perfections of His character to condemn us to eternal punishment. This is not a hypothetical, a hypothetical possibility. This is concrete reality. It is a sure and certain penalty for you and me in our sin. But praise be to God. There is a mediator that stands on my behalf and stands on your behalf. And isn't it ironic that we live in a world that absolutely despises the only mediator between our sin and God. And God says to Jesus, go down because your people have become corrupt. They've turned to all sorts of idolatry and immorality. And unless you intercede for them, I will destroy them in my wrath. And Jesus comes down. And he stands in the gap for sinners. And because of his sacrifice, God relents from the wrath from you and me. Worship team, please come. I am eternally grateful for the unfolding plan of God. How do we work out the fact that God has ordained things to happen and the providence of God and the predestination of God? And how do we work all of that into the aspect that, that we still pray and move? Because God's plan is unfolding and we get to be a part of that. In desperate prayer... We are invited to participate in the unfolding plan that he has for others. I know people who are living under the wrath of God. I know people who are not a part of his grace. And the Lord has declared in his word that any who are unrighteous will be destroyed in the wrath of God. And yet we stand here today in the priesthood of believers, having received Jesus and the Holy Spirit living within us, that we then step into a role of being a mediator. God uses us. And in our role as a mediator, that if we are effective, he said, I will relent. I will draw. I will bring people. So what role do we play in that? Knowing all of the fullness of the perfections of God, we step into the role of saying, God, I want to be a part of your unfolding plan. There's way more to this story, and I'm going to get to more of it next week. But I needed you to know today that while the Lord says, I am intent on judging the sin of mankind, He also says this in His plan, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you see the wrath and the love of God together? And we stand in the middle As mediators, we mediate when we pray. We mediate when we come with passion. We mediate when we come in desperation. Oh God, this people that you have died for, we are not willing that the wrath of God should be poured out on them. So we stand on the mountain with you and we beg you, God, remember your promises.
Remember your promises that you have said that you would raise up a people of your nature. So Lord, here am I as a mediator between those that I know and love and the wrath of God. Oh God, please, please hear our prayer so that you could relent.